So I have this, this notebook, and I kind of was flipping through it uh, yesterday afternoon. It's a, it's a notebook I work on every, every week. Um, this is this week's notebook, and the, the name of this, this notebook that I've given is, um, you know, it's kind of my, it's, I try to be modest. It's my spiritual accomplishments. Um, and, and this is this week's spiritual accomplishments. And so I thought I would just maybe share a few of them with you because I, you know, maybe it'll encourage you. I, I, yeah, and I call this book actually Why Tom Should Go to Heaven um, with a subtitle, but you might not. And um, so, oh wait, I'm still on Monday morning. Let me, let me skip past that. Um, so here's some stuff that, that I've done this week that's really, quite frankly, very good. Um, I read my Bible every day and I prayed for at least five people every day and like five different people. I didn't pray for the same five people all week. I, so 35 people I prayed for this week. Uh, a buddy of mine rides in the MS bike marathon thing. I gave him $50, which is very generous on my part. Um, and kind of in keeping with that generosity, uh, I was over at Bar Louie the other day. Um, what's a pastor doing in a bar? That's a question you might be asking yourself. But the, our server made a $30 mistake on, on my bill to my, to my favor. And I was honest about it, and I told her she undercharged me, and she thanked me because if I didn't do that, that would have come out of her pocket, and so I, I really pretty much saved her whole day. Um, I had lunch with Jeremy Beanbaugh, who used to be on staff here and now is over the journey, and he forgot his wallet uh, again. <laughs> and so I, I paid for lunch over at Duffy's. Um, our youngest son, Jordan, goes to University of Alabama. That speaks for itself football-wise. If you had TV on last night, he needed extra money so he could go to the football game. Uh, about the same day, his mother needed extra money so she could go visit our son and daughter-in-law and grandkids over Kansas City. So I just had an extraordinarily generous week, kind of across the board. Uh, on Thursday, my, my brand-new son-in-law's birthday was Thursday, and uh, I was the only person in the family to remember his birthday. Same day, took my mom to the doctor. Uh, I taught a Bible study on Wednesday, and then I actually attended a Bible study on Thursday. And then same, same day on Thursday, I got a pastor buddy who's really discouraged. He's really kind of down. And so I, uh, I just spent some time talking with him and praying for him. So those are, I mean, those are just literally a small handful of, of my spiritual accomplishments this week and why uh, I'm probably going to heaven. And um, I just wanted you all to be encouraged by that for me. Um, I know it maybe it's discouraging for you, but... Am I on the right track? I sure, I sure hope not, and I hope that's why you're laughing. But it, it seems to me that a lot of us, well, you know, I can, make, I can make fun of it, but a lot of us kind of go through life subconsciously thinking that, you know, that God's up there keeping points, and I, I've got to make sure I get enough good points in, in this column in order to earn my way to heaven. Uh, now, again, we may not vocalize, we may not put it in exactly those terms, but I think that a lot of us live that way. And, and we call that, you know, kind of like what Jeremy forgot as well, we call that faith. But is it really faith? And, and, and whom is that faith? And, and, and if it is faith, is it going in the right direction? That's the question that we want to talk about a little bit this morning out of Galatians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. We're really only going to look at, at two of those verses pretty significantly this morning. But I think the passage is, is I know it's in your Bible. I think it may be in the, in the bulletin as well. Uh, but Galatians chapter 2, uh, starting verse 15 and reading, reading through verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? In other words, Paul's saying, well, if Jesus wants to forgive sins and we're saved by grace, you know, should we make Jesus look good by kind of going out there and sinning a whole bunch? Paul says, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, if I rebuild this idea of saving myself, the idea that I can justify myself, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh or live in this world, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that uh, you would help us to worship you with our minds. That what we do in the, in the next few moments would be uh, a conversation where our hearts are open to you and you share your truth with us. Father, we hear the words of man every day. Uh, sometimes we find some good advice and sometimes some bad advice, and a lot of times it's somewhere in between. But, Lord, our, our advice is, is, is just usually built upon our own experience, our own study, and all of that is limited and flawed in some way. You are the only source of eternal truth. And so we pray this morning that, that as we come to your word, you would speak your truth to us. Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for being so shallow in my faith. Father, forgive me for not loving you well and certainly not well loving my fellow man well. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know by your grace this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you, if you listen to the verses uh, even halfway, you probably understood from the reading of that passage that what Paul is saying is that God will never justify me because I keep the law. God will never justify me. He'll never justify a sinner. He'll never justify you by keeping the law. If you look at verse 16, Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. We have, uh, but, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, he repeats himself again, no one will be justified. Now, why is that? Why is it, to put it in our conversational terms, why is it you can't earn your way to heaven? Why is Paul saying that I can't do enough good stuff to, to be justified, to be made right before God? Well, there's a, a couple of ideas here. The one might be that the law is flawed, that there's actually something wrong with the law, that as you go back into the Old Testament and you read in those, in those early books of the Old Testament like Exodus and Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and you, and you see the, the, the law that God gives to, to, uh, to Moses, that there's something actually wrong with it. God didn't get it quite right. Well, have you ever actually read the law of Moses? Have you actually ever take, picked up a Bible? And I'm not like picking on you if you haven't, although I, I do have that marked in my book. I have read all the, the, the law. It's actually really good stuff. 
what, what God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, he passed on to the children of Israel and, and down through the ages, you know, one example being the Ten Commandments, that's all really good stuff. The law is not flawed. If you read that law carefully, you'll see that if that law is followed, society is in a much better place. How much better off would we be if we didn't cheat one another, if we didn't steal one another, if we didn't commit adultery with one another? If we didn't have other gods before God, but we actually were a humble and gracious people. The law is a very good thing. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's not flawed. It's good for all of mankind, for every generation. Well, is it that God will never justify me because I keep the law because God is mean-spirited? Or that God is, is unfair? That he's, he has some kind of measuring tool that, that isn't really in my favor, that really works against me? I would argue exactly the opposite. If there's something wrong with you and you need someone to help you, whether it's something simple like uh, uh, about keeping up with my own self-righteousness, about six months ago, there was a high school student on our street and my wife and I were driving by and she had a flat tire. And Cindy goes, oh, that's one of my kids so-and-so. And And we stopped and got out and I changed your tire and I jotted that down in my book. And so, um, you know, it was a very gracious thing for me to do. But if I didn't acknowledge that she had a flat tire, if I just drove on by, that would seem unfair. The mean-spirited thing to do would be to roll down the window and say, hey, I hope you get that fixed as I'm going by. If you have an illness and your doctor doesn't tell you about your illness, your doctor's evil. Your doctor's wrong. That's terrible. And it would be unfair for God if he didn't tell us the truth and show us our need for mercy. I remember when I gave Katie, the, our, our middle daughter, if you're visiting, she just got married a couple months ago or a month ago, and uh, I gave her the, the check for the wedding, and she said, Dad, why don't you keep 500 of this and get a personal trainer for a couple months? <laughs> I don't make this stuff up, okay? This is my daughter. It's good for our relationship that she's 4,000 miles or separated. But you know what? She loves me enough to say, Dad, you really, you know, you're in your 50s. You ought to lose a little weight. You know what? She's right. And, and she's not mean-spirited to tell me that. She's not being uh, a rebellious child. She's actually loving me pretty well. And when God says, here's my holiness, and here's my splendor, and, and here's, if you will live this way, here's what will be best for, for all of mankind, and we fail, it's not because God's mean-spirited. God is saying, you need some help. You need mercy. You need grace. Well, if the law isn't flawed and God isn't mean-spirited, could it be that my ability to keep the law is actually flawed? And the answer is absolutely yes. I cannot keep the law perfectly. I can't even come close. I, I keep another list that I, every week, and it's reasons why Tom won't make it to heaven. And I brought it with me this morning. I'm trying to remember what I, what I did with it. Oh, here it is. And... Um, there's really not very much written on here. It's kind of hard to read. They're so small, but there's only a couple things. That's not true. If I actually stopped and, and, and created a list that was honest about my shortcomings, it would be much longer than the one that I created as a joke this morning. And I actually just jotted down in like 25 seconds <laughs> things that I recalled this week that I've done wrong. I lost my temper with a fellow driver at the McDonald's drive-thru who clearly did not get the implications and understanding of how the two ordering lanes work at McDonald's. (laughs) When Cindy got home on Thursday night at 9 o'clock after working 13 hours, I complained to her about how hard my day had been. 
And then I inadvertently made a foolish comment about her hair right about the same time. I spoke poorly of at least three people when they weren't in my presence. That's called gossip. I cursed at a number of golf balls, taking the Lord's name in vain. I cannot tell you how many multiple evil thoughts about others I had, including condemnation, jealousy, lust, and anger. And in general, I put myself above the needs of others pretty much every day, all week long. If you're keeping score using the Ten Commandments, I didn't look too closely, uh, but I could easily see where I broke at least six of them. You see, the, the law's not flawed, and God is not uh, evil or mean-spirited. It is when I focus on my ability, and I'm going to come to God on my terms. It's, it becomes a quid pro quo. God, I'm going to, I'm going to look right and, and try to act right and try to speak right and pretend that everything's okay, and I want you to sit up and notice my efforts and reward me according to how I believe you should record me. And it, in a sense, and I'm, not, I'm not really not trying to pick on us this morning, but it's a little bit of what we do on Sunday morning. We kind of dress up and, and look like everything's okay, and then we go the rest of the week knowing that it really, really isn't. Did you read the news article this week about the, the guy in Montana that dressed up like Bigfoot? Did anybody else read this article? I, astounding. I laughed. You know, Tui, did you laugh? I, I, I had to laugh, and, I, and, and my staff thought I was really ingracious. But this guy wants to create a Bigfoot sighting, okay? He wants to get somebody to think that, that there's a Sasquatch is really out there. So he makes this costume, he gets this costume up, and then he goes and he stands in the middle of the highway in Montana. Now, I'm sorry, who stands in the middle of the highway? Aren't you, like, supposed to kind of dart across the highway and then be going up into the trees? And so he gets run over by a car. And then while he's lying there thinking maybe this was a bad idea, a second car comes while he's lying on the ground and hits him and runs over him again, and he, and he dies. I mean, that part of it's kind of sad, but who pretends to be Bigfoot? In Montana, and, and the, he was run over by two women. This was what was astounding, one of whom was 17 and one of whom was 15. 15 years old, driving pickup trucks in Montana, okay? And I guarantee you what happened was the first one came around the corner, saw Bigfoot, and said, I'm not getting, I'm not getting eaten up, and ran him over, because that's how, how, how mountain women think. And then she saw her friend coming the other way and got on her cell phone and said, Sasquatch around the corner, hit him again. They have gun racks with guns in their trucks in Montana. You want to be Sasquatch? You know, go to, I don't know, go to Connecticut where people are nice (laughs) and aren't armed. (laughs) But but me pretending that my goodness is going to get me into heaven is just as foolish as dressing up like Sasquatch and going and standing in the middle of the highway. I'm going to get run over by my own failure. It is not that the law is flawed, it is that my ability, my pretending to be perfect, is foolish because everyone fails. I love Samantha Owens. She's wonderful. She wants to help women get out of human trafficking. I've seen her be disrespectful to her parents. Everybody sins. I'm not picking on her. Don't shake your head no. I, I, get, I get to recite chapter and verse. Mother Teresa had bad days. Billy Graham needed grace to be saved. Friends, God will never justify us because we keep the law because whether you're a world-famous Christian or you're uh, the, one of the pastors at Green Tree or one of the elders or, or somebody just wandered in the door this morning, we can't do it. We cannot live up 
keeping the law never saves us. And if that's true, if not the law, then how am I justified before God? Is it possible? Or is this just all really a a bad, bad joke that's going to end poorly? Is there an opportunity for me to be justified, not in your eyes and you not in my eyes, but in the eyes of Almighty God? Can we be justified? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. Let me come back to verse 15. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Paul says unequivocally, yes, faith in Jesus instead of faith in me. If this morning you walked in the door and you said, I, I felt pretty good about myself until you kind of burst my bubble, now I'm discouraged. That, that, be discouraged along with the rest of us. It, we all look at our lives and know we fall short. But that's not where the, the gaze ends. We cast our eyes on Jesus. And we see his mercy and his glory. And, and there are two reasons why I can be justified by God by simply putting faith in Christ. The first one is this. He did keep the law perfectly. He never did sin. Every commandment that that was ever written, he kept to perfection. He was both God and man, and he never sinned. He lived the perfect, blameless, spotless life. Those are words that come right out of the New Testament. I didn't make those words up this morning. Those are words that Paul and the other apostles used to describe the life of Jesus. He got it right. But he didn't stop there. Then he took his perfection and he stepped up and he took my place. And the reason why you see crosses in churches is not because they're nice and decorative. It's because we need to be reminded every time we walk in the door and every moment of our life that Jesus Christ took our place. He was the true sacrifice. He traded his sinlessness and his blamelessness and his spotless life for my transgressions. If you skip down to verse 20, it says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh or live in this world, I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus took my place. He took your place. He took the place of every sinner who comes to him by faith. Not demanding, not saying look at my record, but saying Look at my record, I'm in big trouble, and I come seeking the mercy and the grace of God. Which leads to, to, to the last observation I have in the text this morning, is if that's true, if, it, if, if I can't be justified by the law, if I can be justified by faith in Jesus, then what do I do? What is my response? What is your response? What is the response to the God of mercy and grace? The first one is simply this. We need to abandon our passion for self-justification. We need to stop trying to save ourselves. What does Paul say? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, but even we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Paul says, I quit. I abandon the, the, the teaching that says I got to be better. I got to do everything right. I'm going to flee from that. I'm going to run away from it. I'm going to stay as far away from it as humanly possible. Well, one of my Early years in youth ministry, I'm going back to the early 80s, I was backpacking in the Cahada Wilderness, which is in northwest Georgia. Sam's going to Georgia uh, with a bunch of folks, and we were going through a wooded area along a, a pretty nice-sized river, and it was, it was just a nice low-lying area. And I was do- going down the pathway, and we were all separated. There were about 10 of us, and there, you know, a couple were together, but then you know, 100 yards down the path, somebody would be else. And I was kind of by myself, and there was this big log about this big around, 
And I hopped up on the log, and I went to step over, and I got about this far, and I just saw something out of the corner of my eye, and I looked, and right there was a big, fat, copperhead snake about that long. I don't like snakes. Anybody else here not like snakes? All right, we got some, good, we got some snake phobia. I do not like snakes. Now, there are two things that, are, that, that, that happened at that moment. One was uh, I, I, I panicked, and number two was I got a supernatural ability to jump, which, which no Rick's man has. We're all flat-footed. My vertical leap is, is you know, 0.6 of an inch. Um, even if I lose weight, I can't jump. But for some reason, I was able to propel myself 20 feet in that direction in the air away from that snake. I just couldn't get away from it fast enough. And then one of the guys came by, and I saw him about to hop over, and I'm looking. I'm going, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and he did the same. He got about there, and all of a sudden, he sprouted wings, and he just took off. And then he had a really dumb idea. Let's go back and kill it. I'm like, go ahead. I'm, I, I'll watch the backpacks. You go right ahead. But I couldn't get far enough away, fast enough away. Friends, that's what we need to do when it comes to self-justification. We need to run away. We need to abandon and remind ourselves every day it is not about my ability to keep the law. Secondly, we need to acknowledge that the sinful me, the rebellious me, the, the, the me that is defined by my, by my rebellion against God has been crucified on the cross of Jesus. And that's the only way my sins received the grace of God. Paul says, going back to verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. That's the, the sinful nature, the stu- all the junk in my life that I do wrong, the things that I think wrong, the things that I say wrong, all that, all that stuff that's my DNA that's in me, that went to the cross. When God the Father looked at Jesus on the cross, the reason he turned his back, if you've read the story of the crucifixion, and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because at that moment, the identity of Jesus changed, and he was no longer Jesus. He was Tom Ricks, and he was you. And God didn't see a sinless, perfect son. He saw the garbage in my life. He saw my willful spirit. He saw my arrogance. He saw my lust, my anger, my pride. And he sent his son to hell on the cross because God will punish sin. It will not stand before him. And we must understand that unless we acknowledge our sin, we are still in it. It doesn't mean that we grovel in it. It doesn't mean that we say, oh, I'm, I'm hopeless beyond all hope or I'm worse than everybody else. No, we, but we must acknowledge that we have separated ourselves from God, that it is the sinful me. But the great news of this verse is that Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. If I come to Christ in faith, it's a done deal. There are no more boxes to check off, which means that we embrace the sacrifice Jesus meant. We embrace it. We cling to it as, as the author of the hymn says. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. You ever see on the news, or you can see in history books some, but I, I love it when you see somebody come back from Afghanistan or somebody that comes back from Iraq and, and they're getting off of the plane and they're on the tarmac and here comes the loved ones. You see that? Or maybe you've been at Lambert out at the airport when that's happened. I actually saw one of those about three months ago. And it was, I got to tell you, it was one of the coolest things you'd ever see. And that hug just looks like it's going to go on forever. Nobody's letting go. <laughs> you know, dad's not letting go of the little ones or the wife and wife and, or sister or mom or dad, whoever. They're not letting go of each other. And then when, you know, now, you know, they've hugged for like, I don't know, like three and a half minutes. And they're like, you know, well, people are walking past us and they turn to go to baggage. They still don't let go of each other, right? They still have each other in each other's arms. I love that picture because it's a picture of the gospel. 
And Jesus comes and he clings to us. He, he grabs us and he holds on to us. That's what the cross of Christ did. It's an expression of the love of God. And all Jesus says is, hold on to me. I got you. Trust me. I will never let you go. Abandon our passion for self-justification, our pride. Acknowledge that it's the sinful me that's been crucified and embrace the sacrifice and what the new life he gives. Been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in this world, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, in October uh, edition of um, the Saturday Evening Post in 1936, Norman Rockwell's, uh, one of his paintings was on the cover, and you've probably seen it before. It's a profile of two people who are looking at each other. In between them, there's a scale with a chicken on it. And you see the, you know, the pounds up above, and, and the butcher's on one side, and the woman who's buying the meat's on the other side. And if you've ever looked at the picture closely, what, what Rockwell got was the butcher's doing what with his finger? He's pushing down on the scale, right? And what's the gal who's, she's buying, she's the mom, she's buying the chicken. What's she doing? She's pushing up, right? Trying to tip the scale in my favor. And that's what we think we're doing when we try to live by the law. We, we think we're going to tip the scale. Friends, the weight of our sin is heavier than all of the universe has put together. We can never get out from under it. The scales can never be tipped by our effort. But the gospel of Jesus is that much bigger. And it destroys the scale. And God simply says, I love you. Stop trying your own effort. Put your faith in me. Rest in my arms. How will we respond? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the unconditional love that you've given us through Christ. Father, I thank you that... um, there really, you know, there really could be a book with all the, the junk I've done written in it. And a very small, short book of, of anything worthwhile. But Father, the weight of my sin was addressed at the cross of Jesus. And if you took the weight of my sin in one hand and, and, the, and the weight of the grace of God in the other, you would have the difference between a drop of water and the Pacific Ocean. So Father, help us to abandon our own, our own schemes of, of self-righteousness. Help us to truly embrace the cross of Christ and respond in faith to the one who has loved us and given himself for us that we could have new life in him. We pray through Jesus. Amen.